This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Excited about my guest today. Uh, Dr. Vimal George, MD. He is a practicing family practice physician in the uh, Austin, Texas area. Uh, And now he is an author. So he has written a book titled Health in Flames. Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so uh, Dr. George, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate you having me today. Yeah. So I'm interested, just, you know, tell our audience a little bit about you and then also your motivation for writing this book. You know, I always find it fascinating, especially as a working uh, physician, how people find time to write a book because because <laughs> that's always in, it's been in the back of my mind to write a book, but I can't, I can't even imagine like where I would have time right now. So that may be a retire, maybe a retirement thing. But uh, So yeah, just kind of, uh, you know, talk about you know, when this idea started and then just your motivation for writing this book? Sure. Um, I think your two questions are related. So, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, I'm a family physician, as you mentioned, in in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, over time um, at the clinic I'm at, which is a multi-specialty clinic, uh, worked uh, my way up into becoming chief of family medicine and then uh, eventually taking on a role as a a chief of quality for our, uh, our, uh, patient population within uh, the central Texas area. And so, uh, you know, I, I came to see uh, what I'm sure you and many other healthcare leaders are well aware of, which is that we're seeing over time a, a rising um, burden of chronic disease. Um, you know, whether we're talking about diabetes or Alzheimer's or uh, rising obesity rates, um, uh, you know, various chronic diseases, and along with that, a rising cost of healthcare as you know, our healthcare expenses are, uh, you know, a few trillion dollars per year now. And uh, the, the rate of rise, it keeps going up and up. And so basically, you know, what we're, uh, what we're dealing with is kind of um, something that uh, we, we don't seem to be able to get a good handle of. In other words, year after year, rates of diabetes, for example, is increasing over time. And we're just not getting a hold of the the chronic disease burden and the expenses associated with that. And so uh, basically I felt that we needed a a different approach. And so uh, that's kind of the underlying motivation for writing the book. Well, very good. Yeah. I, I had that same epiphany. My listeners have heard this before uh, quite a few years ago when I was doing, you know, the quote standard of care. And one day I just thought, you know, my patients aren't getting any better. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these things and you know, their numbers might look better, but they're still obese. They're still miserable with arthritis and whatnot. And so anyway, that's what took me on a deep dive 
to uh, looking elsewhere, I guess, which is, you know, what eventually led me to start this podcast. But uh, so, yes, I definitely understand uh, what you're saying. So so the name of the book is Health in Flames. And so you start off by talking about just the, the healthcare crisis. And you say that the healthcare crisis yeah. is basically on fire. Uh, yes. you, know, you, you mentioned a little bit about that, but kind of expand on that just a little bit. Yeah, you know, if you look at uh, you know any number of healthcare statistics, so the U.S. has the the chronic, highest chronic disease burden among uh, developed countries uh, around the world. Um, we spend almost twice as much per capita um, compared to other developed countries. Our rates of uh, patients who are obese or overweight uh, among adults are a whopping seventy three point six percent, which is you know shocking, right? Um, and, uh, and then again, you know, if you look at healthcare expenses, we're spending 18% of GDP on healthcare and that percentage is rising over time, which means we have less to spend on education and uh, research and development and other priorities that, um, that we have as a nation. And so, uh, you know, if you also include uh, life expectancy among developed countries, our life expectancy is actually a little bit lower, infant mortality rates are a little bit higher, uh, maternal mortality rates are a little bit higher. And so there's a, a number of things that uh, we could be doing better. And so um, this is kind of a, 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 you know, look under the hood to see what it is that is actually causing this rise of chronic disease. Yeah. And, and so I guess that was my next question. You know, you kind of relate everything to the, to the fire. Uh, yeah. And so one of the chapters is, is what's causing the fire. So, you know, kind of, give us an idea of how, how did, how did we get here and why is it not getting yeah. any better? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, what I suggest in the book is that really, um, you know, the reason that we're not able to get a, a con- contain the, the, the fires that are affecting our health uh, is really because we are kind of approaching this, um, uh, you, you know, your, your listeners may be well aware that, you know, you can't treat a pneumonia by treating the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so if we're treating the various underlying, the, the various symptoms of the underlying disease, then we're really not going to be making much of a, a dent in terms of, uh, you know, uh, truly getting the fires under control. And so, you know, what I suggest is that just as you can't treat a pneumonia with uh, cough medicines or, you know, fever reducing medicine, you have to treat the underlying cause. And so, you know, basically what I suggest in the book is that uh, the underlying cause of this is is actually um, something that we we you know in the healthcare field um, don't really appreciate, <laughs> and what that is is basically uh, something that happens when you combine uh, a system of capitalism with um, a certain uh, tendency of human nature, which, whereby we tend to mistake what uh, really brings us happiness with what brings us pleasure. And so you combine these two together, and the result is that you have uh, rampant and mindless consumerism. And so when you first hear this, it, it, it may kind of make you wonder, how exactly is it that consumerism is what's burdening our health? And how, how does the, the two relate? Um, so I'll wait for you to ask me the question. But, uh, you know, I, I'd like to suggest that that really is what is underlying that the, un, the underlying uh, issue that is contributing to the rise of chronic disease. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that more because that's certainly a different message, 
mm-hmm. that, you know, is, you know, even I say, because most people and that I've had on this podcast, when we talk about chronic disease, you know, the listeners are going to be familiar with terms like, well, it's, it's all about inflammation, sure. you know, that's the root cause. And it's, it's all about processed foods. And so, yes. you know, there's been people on here talking about, you know, the, the, how processed food can lead to uh, chronic illness. And then it's, um, you know, about, you know, big pharma and how, mm-hmm. you know, we're just trained to give drugs. And like you said, just not treat the underlying disease, but just give yes. drugs. And we just keep adding to the problem. And, and so maybe you agree with all things, all those things, yeah. but you kind of take a different mm-hmm. slant on it. And so I guess kind of expand on what, what you just said there initially. So. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. Um, uh, so, you know, thank you for giving me that opportunity. So, you know, first of all, I'd just like to recognize that, you know, 70 to 80% of these chronic diseases, whether we're talking about diabetes or uh, high blood pressure, um, you know, anxiety disorders, major depressive disorders, uh, a lot of these are actually preventable. And we know that. Um, and, and so what we're doing instead is we're, we've been kind of placing increasingly sophisticated um, bandages on, on these uh, chronic diseases and not really preventing it. Uh, but let me go back to your question as to what, how it is that consumerism is causing the rise of chronic disease. Uh, really, there's four, four major ways this is happening. Uh, to really understand that, though, you kind of have to separate out uh, what would happen if we were uh, a more consumer mindful, more, more mindful consumers than mindless consumers. Okay, and so what I'd like to suggest is if we if we tend to be mindful and purchase things that actually contribute to making us happy or improving our well-being, those are good purchases. Okay, I have no issue with that. But the, the fact that we tend to overconsume and chase after pleasurable things that then actually sometimes decrease happiness, uh, those are mindless cons- um, you know, purchases. And so what happens is that you know, over time, um, uh, you guys, uh, you, you know, your listeners may be aware of um, an economist has, uh, you know, from the last century, uh, John Maynard Keynes, who's a, a very famous economist, and, he predicted a hundred years ago that in our time, really we would only need to work about 15 hours a week. <laughs> and uh, obviously he was wrong, uh, but what he, the reason he was wrong and I'd like to suggest is that he wasn't actually wrong in the sense of, you know, if you look at, do we have enough to meet our needs? Uh, we've actually passed that long time ago. Uh, what he didn't foresee is that houses, for example, uh, would be almost three times the size that it was than when than when he made his prediction, and so you know we've been purchasing increasingly larger si- houses, uh, we've been uh, purchasing all sorts of goods and services that really haven't translated to improving our our levels of happiness. Um, so you know if you if you look at what could be possible, uh, we could be if we were mindful consumers and we purchase uh, less, we would actually be able to become uh, financially independent of our employers. And uh, this has a lot of implications in in terms of health. And let me explain that. Again, four major ways. One, modern employment is a health hazard in a way that uh, many people, you know, on a day-to-day basis, they don't realize it, uh, even though if you take a step back, it's pretty obvious. Uh, so, for example, you know, we're, we're, we're largely working in sedentary jobs, 
uh, tied to a desk oftentimes eight to five, uh, followed by tra- uh, you know sitting through traffic to and from work. And along with that, you know, we're, we really don't have enough time to, um, you know, prepare a nourishing meal. And so oftentimes breakfast is, breakfast is on the go. Um, you know, sometimes lunch is outside and, and even dinner, you know, a lot of times we don't have a good amount of time to be able to prepare a nourishing meal for our families. And so we've kind of compromised on unhealthy diet and exercise right off the bat. And not to mention it also, um, you know, because of all the stress adversely affects our, our ability to, to get a good night's rest. And so, you know, those are all pillars of healthy living, whether you're talking about healthy diet, exercise, sleep, or stress. Um, and right off the bat in that first way, this is something that's adversely affecting our health. Second, uh, you, you know, we've also kind of re-engineered the, uh, the environment around us. If you look at the healthiest living people around the world, and you ask them, what is their secret to healthy living? You know what they would say, Greg? A lot of times they actually don't know. (laughs) And they don't know because it's kind of built into their everyday existence. Uh, So just to to give you an example, you know, most of us, we we come out of the house and, you know, we enter into our garage and there's a car waiting right there because, you know, again, that's the convenience of the lifestyle that we've uh, developed is that, you know, everything's right there. Uh, whereas some of these places, they, they actually don't have paved roads uh, next to their houses. And so, uh, you know, by intention or not, they are uh, automatically going to have to use their legs either to walk or to or to, or to bike to where they want to go. And so, you know, unfortunately, we've kind of engineered out the need for uh, meaningful physical exertion in that way. So, you know, again, that's kind of the second way. Third Increased uh, consumption is actually uh, the reason for, you know, various things that have changed the environment. Environmental, you know, in in terms of climate change, that's really only the most obvious way. Uh, But also, you know, if you look at the rate of species extinction, uh, by some accounts, it's almost a thousand times the rate at which it was historically. And what happens is that, you know, if you look at the studies, there's a, a... a good deal of evidence that the remaining species are actually, um, you know, opportunistic infections that have risen, uh, that em- emerged as a result of not having these buffers for the, you know, for, for to keep that used to keep them in check. Uh, you know, that's kind of a third way uh, that we're seeing a rise in in, in various, uh, you know, health uh, issues as a result of the changes in our in our environment. Uh, and then fourth, and this one's a little bit of a, um, a challenge to explain sometimes, but, you know, what happens when we are financially dependent on our employer versus financially independent, it has, it has broad implications for the way we work. Uh, so just to give you an example, you know, um, a person who's financially dependent on their employer, they, they work for, for money the service or good that they offer is, is kind of a side effect. Whereas a person who's financially independent, you know, if you think about people like Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey or, or, you know, Bill Gates, um, these guys, they work because they're passionate about their product or service and money is instead a side effect. And so how does that affect health? Well, this has kind of broad implications. Uh, a novelist from the, uh, from the 1900s, you know, Upton Sinclair, who once wrote that 
it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. <laughs> and so the idea is that we're just more prone to, you know, not necessarily intentionally, but we're more prone to compromise our integrity uh, and create products that are highly addictive and highly uh, you know, tempting to the point that, you know, we've changed food, for example, than, than the way it used to be uh, and re-engineered it to become, uh, you know, as tasty as possible, which is, which is great, except that it's not so good for you in terms of your health. And so all these different ways, it, it really is uh, adversely impacting our health. So to, to summarize all that, if I, if I may, you're saying we need to live simpler, you know, that in today's day and age, you know, and I'm just taking an average person here, but they're rushing off to work. They're in traffic. They're swinging by McDonald's and getting the egg McMuffin and, and their coffee and they're coming to work. They're sitting all day, which like you said, it's not good for you. They're, they're, you know, they're stressed. Then they're going back home in traffic. They're not moving. They're not outside. They're not in nature. And this is all to keep up if, with the Joneses, uh, if, if you will. <laughs> and so what you're saying is we need a different mindset. I mean, you said a, a lot of, a lot more than this, but we need a different <laughs> mindset to maybe learn to live simpler to where we could potentially get away from that lifestyle, then have time to cook, to have time to be outside in nature, uh, and, and just focus more on our health, which would also allow us maybe you know, to, to go back and eat, eat better because we're not doing the fast food and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, in, in a sense, that's right. Uh, now I would say I'm not advocating living like a monk <laughs> necessarily either. Okay. And so, okay. you know, I just want to kind of put the, the notion out there that we should be aiming to be uh, financially independent though. Gotcha. And that, that then translates to a, a lot of benefits. Now, you know, you could be financially independent, and uh, still, uh, you know, live a life that, uh, you know, may involve a little bit more consumption, but we should certainly not uh, compromise on the things that uh, affect our happiness. And so if we are compromising our health uh, by increasing our consumption, which is what is happening, then that is adversely affecting our happiness. And so uh, in the end of the day, we're, we're all trying to become a happy people, uh, it, you know, it's our sense of well-being that uh, that is important to us. And so if we are, you know, tied to a desk from eight to five because of the fact that we tend to overconsume, which again is the, the premise I, that I lead by, uh, then, uh, then I think we, we really are missing out on something. And most people, uh, most people are able to get to the point of becoming financially independent if they're mindful of how they are consuming. Uh, now that said, Greg, I want to make clear one other, uh, you know, aspect of what I said, which is that, um, you know, capitalism is what drives this. I, I want to make clear, though, that, that that I'm a fan of capitalism, and and you know, there is a, a lot of benefit that as that economic system has brought to to us. Okay, and so, uh, you know, again, I'm not necessarily trying to advocate living like a monk. I'm not necessarily saying that we need to, you know, I'm not preaching some sort of Marxist ideology or anything, anything, you know, radical like that. This is really uh, within the framework of where we are. Uh, we should try to think about the things that actually impact happiness 
and spend accordingly. And if we look at it that way, uh, which again, you know, there's no other reason to spend something other than if it's actually going to translate to 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 our happiness, right? And so, if you look at it that way, what you'll what you'll come to find is actually the best things in life are uh, are free once you have met your basic needs. So I know people are listening; they're going to be like, "Okay, that sounds good," but I've you know I've got this eight to five job. I've got a you know I've got to pay my bills. You know, I I can't just you know, and, and a lot of people would say, I hate my job, you know, but, but I got to do it because it's a job and I can't just quit my job and go find something that's going to make me happy. Uh, and, and I've even heard people in the office say, yeah, I know, I know I'm unhealthy. I know this job is making me unhealthy. You know, I'm working, I'm working the night shift, but it is what it is. I, I've got to work. So I mean, what, what would you say to those people? So, you, you know, what, what's happened is unfortunately, even if you listen to our financial advisors who, who generally try to give good advice and tell you to live within your means and invest your, your money. Right. Um, but even if you listen to, you know, even a good financial advisor at the most, they'll tell you to, you know, maybe put away 10 to 20% of your income that you're earning uh, and to invest that and, and to get to the point of living a comfortable retirement. Once you're, older and, you know, typically toward the end of your life when you have a lot of chronic health issues, which again, uh, you know, life has so much more to offer than that. What I'd like to suggest is that if you really uh, kind of adopt this uh, mindset that uh, once you have your basic needs met, that the best things in life are, are then nearly free of cost, um, then what you'll soon learn is that you can actually put away, you know, uh, easily 30, 40% of your income, possibly 50%, maybe even 70%, depending on how much you're making, of course. But for most people, that's entirely realistic. Uh, again, you know, just think of the fact of the size of homes over the last 100 years. I mean, again, it's almost three times as big. Uh, our houses are almost three times as large as they, as they were 100 years ago. And yet our levels of happiness as a nation uh, have actually declined in the last few decades a little bit. And, and again, it points to the fact that, you know, perhaps we're just kind of mindlessly consuming, trying to keep up with our neighbors, perhaps picking up on social cues and not really being a little bit more deliberate and thinking about what things actually impact your happiness. You have a chapter that says an alternative universe, reimagining life for the individual. Um, it, does that kind of go along with what you're saying? It does. Uh, there's a, a character in the book that I talk about. His name is Sam, and he he's uh, you know a, a fellow victim of consumerism. You could say he um, tends to to overconsume, and and you know he's gotten to the point where he's in his early fifties, coming in with diabetes. Uh, you know, I put him on certain medications. He's under control. He comes back because again, he's not really changed his lifestyle. He continues to be sick and have to increase his medications. Uh, and this is a cycle that keeps kind of replaying itself. And so, uh, you know, what I'd like to suggest is that Sam, uh, who's a, the character in the book, he, he could really do uh, so much better if in, in an alternative universe. If he was to the point of becoming financially independent, for example, uh, he should be able to, um, you know, uh, at the least, at the least he, he could, he has his own, he can come to work at his own terms, right? Because he doesn't have to worry about uh, about the, um, he doesn't necessarily have to worry about meeting his, uh, you know, paying his next uh, mortgage, right? He's gotten to the point of financial independence. What does that mean? That means that even if you stop working, 
you still have enough money to meet all your expenses. And, um, you know, whether you're looking to just become financially independent or incredibly wealthy, uh, really, the secret to that is just to spend mindfully and to invest the rest of that money, right? And so you could get to the point of, uh, of where Sam is, he can then have a little bit more control, he has a sense of agency that he lacked before. Uh, whereas in our universe, uh, Sam was stuck in his job eight to five, you know, again, stuck at his desk, he had no other choice. Uh, here, in this alternative scenario where he's financially, you know, free, uh, he can push back on, on the way he lives his life. And, and he can decide for himself, he has a sense of agency that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to retire just because he's financially independent. Maybe he continues to work for his employer, but he goes uh, at, at his own terms. And that makes a big difference. So you also have a chapter um, about teaching our kids some of these concepts. And, and I have fairly young kids. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know maybe how we teach our kids to get out of this mess that just, you know, seems to be getting worse. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's really kind of too bad, right? You, you know, we, we, um, we've kind of um, adopted this mindset, you know, certainly as individuals and even as a nation, you know, whether you're looking at politicians on our right or uh, politicians on our left, the entire overarching, you know, societal goal has been increasing GDP growth. Okay, so on an individual level, how much we're spending and, and, and the money we're trying to generate, money that we have and we're spending on a, on a collective level, on a national level, that's, that translates to GDP growth, right? And so, uh, you know, what I'd like to suggest is that that's kind of a misplaced notion. That, that's the mistaken uh, goal. What we're, we're really after is, is, uh, is, once again, happiness, right? And if we're compromising our health, then obviously our levels of happiness are going to go down. In fact, that is, and, and I display this in the book, there is a graph that shows us GDP has increased uh, fairly dramatically in the United States. Uh, in these last few decades, our happiness levels have actually declined a little bit. And, uh, and the fundamental reason for that is because our health has been adversely affected. Uh, but let me come back to your, your question. You know, if, you, if, you, if what I'm saying is really right, then um, this really changes things on, a, uh, on, on so many different levels. Uh, if we're not trying to just increase GDP growth for the sake of increasing productivity, uh, then you know we really should rethink what it is that our we're doing in terms of our purpose for our schools. Uh, if it really is to improve happiness levels, you know, if it really is to improve our our well-being as a nation, uh, you know, our level of happiness, uh, then maybe you know maybe sitting in a chair uh, as our kids do from uh, I don't know eight to three or seven to four, whatever it is. Um, maybe that's just not the best way that we should be educating our children, right? Uh, maybe there's also some lost opportunity in terms of, you know, most of our kiddos, they, they come out of college, you know, they come out of uh, school, uh, go into college, and they enter into a great deal of debt, uh, which they are, you know, right off the bat, trying to work off. And, and so they're in a hole right off the bat. And, and what I'd like to suggest is really, you know, there's there's kind of a, a better way to focus our education system. One, we should actually teach finance a little bit um, in, a, in a manner that is likely to translate to, you know, kids having a, a better notion of what 
of how to achieve uh, financial independence. Most of these kids, uh, like I said, you know, uh, most kids these days, they can get to the point of financial independence in their late 30s or early 40s. Uh, that's an entirely realistic uh, possibility, but we just don't teach that. We, we also don't teach the things that actually impact happiness uh, in, in terms of, uh, there's actually a science. And, um, you know, I kind of threw out the statement that the best things in life are free. There's actually a lot of uh, research that I support, that, that I point out to in the book uh, that supports this notion that once you have your basic needs met, um, you know, really much of what we spend money on is not translating to happiness. Uh, the best things in life are free. That really kind of reflects the fact that, you know, those things that actually impact happiness are things that tend to uh, imp impact our, our body, our mind, or our soul in some way. So let me just kind of explain that a little bit. You know, the things that, you know, engage our body, things like exercise, actually improve our happiness, our, our well-being, our, our sense of health, actually improve our, our sense of happiness. Uh, things that improve our mind, you know, those things, whether it's reading a book or learning a subject, those things that are intellectually stimulating that actually can impact your level of happiness. Things that engage the soul, like spending time with family and friends. Uh, those are things that uh, clearly uh, do actually translate to uh, a better sense of well-being and happiness. And so if people are aware of this, especially our kiddos at younger age level, uh, then, you know, we can actually create a better society, I'd say. And they could you know, kind of get to the point of, uh, of having a sense of um, uh, freedom in a way that we don't now. And that would also translate to better health generally. So I'm going to go back to the very beginning and the question that I asked, especially now that I know a little bit more about where you're coming from. And, you know, if you get 10 doctors in a room and, you know, especially ones that kind of do a little bit more alternative like myself. And you say, okay, what do we need to do to make people healthier? And you're going to hear, oh, we need to, you know, quit eating processed foods. We need to eat low carb. We need to, mm. well, whatever. You're going to get all these. And and then you say we need to be financially independent. And, you know, now that's not the only thing. But so I guess I'm kind of curious when you started thinking, thinking about this that hey that would solve a lot of things like I mean just just take us through kind of your mindset of when you started kind of thinking about this and how that would solve a lot of the problem um you know that that's a tough question I kind of uh had uh and I talk about it in the book that you know I kind of grew up with sort of this sort of a mindset I didn't really need a whole lot of money to be happy uh that was just me personally even though I'd have friends who tend to splurge on all sorts of goods and services and, and end up in, in debt. And, and so I, you know, I didn't particularly find that attractive. Uh, but what became clear to me, I guess, was really seeing my patients um, kind of getting, getting in this situation where, uh, you know, once again, they, are, they, really are, they really are stuck in their workplaces. And, and, you know, if you just think about the fact that being sedentary, eight to five, again, traveling through traffic for, to and from work in addition to that, and just not having enough time for years on end, uh, you know, you'd have to be naive to not realize that that has a huge impact on health. I mean, you know, Greg, you know this because, you know, you've seen this uh, too from the patients that you see, but 
that that obviously translates to you know all sorts of health issues and and so to to think that um you know i don't want to put out there that you know become financially independent you're automatically going to become healthy no 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 absolutely not uh i know people who are <laughs> for lack of a better word uh consumerism you know gluttonous consumers who are very healthy <laughs> and who are you know those who are uh financially independent who are not healthy okay but what i'm suggesting is that uh we can optimize the conditions for which people are becoming healthier and if you're looking at the fact that right now uh 73% of us in america are either overweight or or obese and that rate is actually increasing over time uh then you know uh that kind of doing the same thing over and over it, it's just not getting us to where we want to be uh this again you know it's fundamentally still about a healthy diet exercise those things are still obviously important but by having the ability to to be able to be free from your desk from 8 to 5 uh by being able to be free from uh, you know tied to a desk um uh, throughout your day you're you're able to do things that you wouldn't be able to otherwise yeah i like it so in the last few chapters um you know you you kind of have some fun titles the ultimate extinguisher uh stop drop and roll extinguishing the flames which is all kind of solutions you know to the problem here so i guess kind of kind of summarize those if you will into at the end of the day you know what what can we do to to change this yeah so you know i kind of talk about it at two different levels right so on an individual level there's a lot that anybody who decides to opt out of it uh can do um you know really it kind of comes down to uh realizing that uh consumerism is in fact the pathology that it is, that is right, giving rise to these various chronic diseases once you recognize that it's easy it's easy right because the prescription for that is very simple you know you it, it's an easy sell for most folks because uh you know what i'm suggesting is that you uh spend less you invest that money that you would have spent and you're going to actually become a lot wealthier and and that's an attractive proposition for most folks uh you know even even the, the kids coming straight out of high school uh you can sell that to them and they would be ready to sign up in a heartbeat on a societal level though i have some uh you know policy prescriptions that i talk about in the book that uh i think can really kind of move the needle um and and they're a little bit more complicated i could get into some of that if you if you like but you know just to give you a couple of examples uh one uh if we are tying our health care our health insurance to our employers okay that means that if we have to get health insurance through an employer then you're then you're tying a little bit tighter our need to continue to work for our employer whereas if you can have a healthcare uh health insurance that's independent of an employer you're more likely to be able to uh to be free of that uh, of you know being tied to your employer and so you know that's just one kind of thing that i suggest a, a second thing is the issue of marketing to kids uh you know for example 80% of that uh tends to be uh junk food uh marketing uh, 80% of the uh, the food marketing to kids is is about junk food that's obviously not a uh a fair thing to do uh that's you know perhaps a a very kind way to say it uh when you're talking about these big multinational companies that uh use their 
you know, millions of dollar um, marketing budget to be able to advertise to, to little children, get them hooked on products and goods that then uh, translate to, you know, higher rates of obesity as in children. And, and what you realize is that, you know, once children are obese, uh, it's much less likely that they're going to be able to live a healthy lifestyle uh, as an adult. You know, they, they just tend to continue that, that same lifestyle. And so, uh, you know, I talk about that and a couple other interventions that I think on a, on a, um, on a national basis uh, can get to can get us to the, the point that we are more likely as a, as a society to benefit. Uh, just to give you one more kind of, you know, those, uh, one more of those little policy uh, interventions, it involves, you know, again, teaching finance in schools and teaching the science of well-being in schools. Uh, some of those are things that, uh, you know, if we had a better notion of, uh, we could kind of realize that, hey, you know, it doesn't really, some of these things that I'm thinking to spend on doesn't really translate to happiness. Uh, you know, let me rethink this a little bit, right? And so, uh, you, you know, I have a few of those kinds of policy interventions that I talk about in the book that I think can really benefit us uh, on a societal level. So I'm curious as a as a practicing you know family physician, how do you incorporate this to your patients, you know, on a day to day basis when you're seeing <laughs> when you're seeing them in the office and they're coming to you yeah. for for diabetes and high blood pressure and and whatever, you know, are are you able to spend a little time with them and talk to them about this. I mean, how, how has, since you've written this book, how has it ever, has it changed, you know, kind of the way that, that you practice and how do you incorporate it into what you do? Yeah. Thanks for asking that, Greg. I, I think, um, you, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I can't say that I do a lot differently, right? I mean, I still have to talk to our patients about, you know, following a healthy diet and exercising all those kinds of things. And I'm not necessarily advocating or suggesting that, you know, uh, myself or you or our fellow practitioners uh, start asking about the health of our patients' pocketbooks. <laughs> so uh, that would be uh, sort of a, you know an odd conversation, perhaps not something that we uh, need to get into. But what I would say is that you know as healthcare providers, I think we we really can we do have the uh, the credibility in this space uh, to be able to advocate for some of those policies, as I mentioned. Uh, some of which uh, involves our, 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 our food system, right? Um, you know, again, you could look at the deta details in, in the book, but some of these policies are things that are, are really pretty much common sense uh, that if we were to advocate for, uh, given our health degrees and, and background in, in, in the healthcare field, uh, we bring in a level of credibility to it that I think can really uh, or more likely to translate into real action uh, at a uh, at a policy level. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I guess that's a little bit of a, <laughs> I don't really have a good solution as to what to tell your patients on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm, I'm not necessarily suggesting that we uh, talk about their pocketbooks, but uh, there is things that we could do uh, collectively as healthcare professionals. So. Gotcha. Well, um, so anything else about the book before we wrap up? that you just want to throw out there that I didn't ask you? Yeah, yeah, I, I would like to, you know, kind of suggest that um, uh, there's this notion out there. Uh, this is, uh, it, you know, the, the title of the book, first of all, it's, it's Health and Flames. And the subtitle is A Doctor's Prescription for a Living Beyond Diet and Exercise. And the reason I point that out is because 
if you listen to our our you know our political leaders right now, you, you know the conventional wisdom uh, really is to do exactly the opposite of what I'm suggesting. Um, that is, spend more money. <laughs> That's what really our politicians would suggest: is that you know you want to spend more money because by doing so, uh, you're actually likely to innovate, and innovation is going to lead to discoveries that um, can cure the chronic diseases that I'm talking about, okay? So you're, you're going to be able to cure diabetes and uh, Alzheimer's and, you know, major depressive disorders and colon cancer and all these things that we can't even contain in today's world uh, by just innovating, by spending more, we'll innovate more and then be able to, that'll translate to new cures for diseases that we can't even control right now. So what I'd like to suggest to that is that that's, that's true. I do think that, you know, that is actually likely to happen. On the other hand, uh, what we have to differentiate here is between uh, chronic disease management on the one side and health and well-being on the other side. And if we're really trying to improve our health, then the things that we need are already available to us. Okay. So good, nourishing, whole food, natural food, it's already available to us. Exercise. We just need to be able to be free enough to be able to not be tied to our desk to be able to take advantage of that. Sleep. It's free. <laughs> Spending time outdoors. These are all things that are free to us. And we just need to be able to take advantage of those things. So if you're talking about improving our health, well-being, and ultimately our levels of happiness, uh, then just by spending more, we're actually not going to get to that. We're just in the, and, you know, we could be even more productive uh, with the, with, with, you know, continue to be sedentary, but that's not going to translate to what we're really after. Very interesting. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all that. I mean, interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting take on it, uh, you know, but never really thought of it like that, but no, that, that all makes sense. So, well, okay. Well, um, so as we wrap up, I always ask my guests if they could give us one health tip that would make us healthier today, what would you say to that? Uh, you, you know, you can't neglect a healthy diet and exercise and good sleep and managing stress. Those are all important aspects of it. And uh, you guys all know that. Um, but what I'd like to add is that, you know, the conditions where we find ourselves are not uh, conducive to being able to take advantage of them. So uh, really, we have it within ourselves. Uh, the vast majority of us do. Uh, again, this was something that economists have predicted 100 years ago that we could get to the point of becoming, you know, basically financially independent of our employers. Uh, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to retire. It just means that you'll be able to have the freedom to be able to to do the things that you need to do uh, to be able to take care of yourself in the first place. And then, uh, and, and then to really be able to. Uh, do things that uh, you may not have ever realized you had within you. Um, you know, some of these folks, uh, you know, you think about, think about all, Elon Musk and how many times I've heard he's such a genius. And, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Elon. He's, he is a genius. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of us here that are, in fact, um, you know, have that sort of capability that we just never had the chance to be able to to look up and see that there's a lot of opportunities, um, you know, a lot of things that you can contribute to in a meaningful way in the world, um, but we're not able to because again, you know, kind of uh, tied in with all these financial obligations that we're kind of uh, setting. So anyway, I'd like to kind of just kind of put that thought out there that I think 
uh, we tend to not realize that our spending habits have so much of an impact in terms of uh, what we are leaving on the table, unfortunately. Well, very good. So the name of the book is Health in Flames, A Doctor's Prescription for Living Beyond Diet and Exercise, as you mentioned. And so I know that people can go to healthinflames.com, correct? Uh, Can they also find this on Amazon? Yeah, sure can. You you know, um, so uh, let me just kind of put three little call to actions out there so you can get this on Amazon or Barnes Nobles or any of the major, you know, online retail websites. Uh, Please read the book. Please uh, share it with your family and friends. Um, If you second, if you if you, you know, if you can uh, post a review for me, uh, that it helps to increase the visibility of the book. And then third, for some of you who are really uh, interested in helping to bring about benefits to a national level, uh, you know, uh, join me. There's a place on the website that says to, um, you know, join in to, that um, helps us to kind of organize and, you know, push for some of these policies that I talk about in the book. And so I hope you guys will take advantage of that um, and look forward to hearing from, uh, from, from, from some of you guys in, in the audience. Very nice. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, very, very interesting topic and uh, appreciate uh, everyone listening as always. And uh, I throw out there a reminder every now and then to go on uh, Apple podcast or whatever venue you're listening and, and post some reviews um, so that the, the podcast reaches uh, more people. So appreciate you guys doing that. So uh, again, thank you, Dr. George and appreciate y'all listening and we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.